Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I was explaining in the previous program that our God gave the Old Covenant so that we could see that we had a need for His grace and mercy. And He did that so that He could then give us the New Covenant, which is the description of His grace and mercy. But even though He gave us the Old Covenant and then He gave us the New Covenant, even though He gave us these two covenants in these transitions, that did not mean that He did not ever relate to us on the basis of his mercy, on the basis of his graciousness. Because technically he always has related to us on that basis. For example, with Abraham, Abraham was declared to be righteous by our God. He was declared to be righteous, but he wasn't declared to be righteous because he obeyed God's commandments. He was not declared to be righteous for that reason. It wasn't because of his repentance and his obedience. It was because he believed God. That was why Abraham was declared to be righteous. Our God has never been interested in our repentance or our obedience. He has never been interested, really, in our sin, the behavior of our flesh. That has never truly been the focus of our God, except in order to show us, to show us that we have a problem, to show us that we need him. In that sense, certainly he has an interest. But in terms of just trying to get our flesh under control, no, that's never really been the issue. The real issue goes way back. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. Abraham is just an example to show that he has always related to us in this way. But the real issue started in the Garden of Eden when God gave the commandment to Adam and Eve, the commandment that they were not to eat from the wrong tree. Whatever you do here in the garden, you can do whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. Adam and Eve could have enjoyed everything that God provided except for one thing. He said, look, this is the one thing that I do not want you to experience. I do not want you to participate in. Just simply do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did. Why did they do that? Because they believed the devil. They believed the serpent. They believed his lie that if they ate from the tree, then they would know what was good and evil. And because of their knowledge of good and evil, they would be like God. Now, certainly they knew what was good and evil. That was not the lie. The lie was that they would be like God or they could be like God just by knowing what is right and what is wrong, by knowing what is good and what is evil. What would be the value of knowing that? Because you can make choices for yourself. You can make decisions on your own. If you know what is right, you do what is right. The serpent didn't say you will know what is good and evil so that you can go out and do a bunch of evil. That's not what he said. He said, look, you can be like God. You can be good. You can be holy. 
You can be righteous. It's the exact same message that people have been perpetrating in the religious world ever since. If you only know what is right and wrong, if you only know what the commandments are, if you only know what is good and what is evil, if you only understand the truth about what is good and evil, then you can do that which is good and not do that which is evil, and you can be like Jesus. And who was Jesus? Jesus was God, manifested in the flesh. And so you can be like God. It's the exact same message as was presented in the Garden of Eden that caused the entire fall of humanity to begin with. I presented this in a series that I did on spiritual warfare. I would very much like to encourage you to listen to those programs that I did on spiritual warfare. But in this program, what I would like to address is the importance of realizing that the reason why they fell, the reason why Adam and Eve violated the law of God that he gave was because they did not believe God. That's why. They did not believe him. They rejected him. They said, we think that you are lying to us. We think that you are a liar and the serpent is telling us the truth. That was their heartfelt attitude. That was how they looked at their God. That was why they turned away from him. That was why they believed the devil, because they thought that God was lying. And so the Lord our God has been reaching out to creation ever since then, saying, look, I am telling you the truth. I am speaking the truth. I know, I know the way that I have created this world. I know why I created this world. I know who you are. I know who I made you to be. I know better. Will you believe me? Will you trust me and not fail because of your own pride, because of your own desire to live independently of me? He created us, folks. He created us to be dependent on him. He created us in such a way that we cannot function without him. He will not allow us to function without him. He will not allow anyone in this world to truly experience peace and rest in their own heart until they turn to him for who he is and receive what he has to offer. Until then, they will never be at rest. From the day they were born until the day that they die, they will always live with a lack of peace and they will never ever experience their God for who he is, and they will never experience themselves for who he made them to be. They will continually live in this existence that is death, that is emptiness, that is absolutely nothing. That is the life that a person will be condemned to until they turn to him for who he is. Now, he has provided us with forgiveness, and the reason why He provided us with forgiveness was so that we would be set free from the law, from any form of law, so that we would be set free because with his forgiveness, with his forgiveness for our sins, there is no longer any penalty that can be executed against us. You see, the law is very simple. You obey or you die. That's it. You obey or you will be punished. But when he took upon the punishment that he did when he died on the cross, the entire sin issue came to an end because there is no longer any punishment that can be executed on anyone because he has assumed it for himself. 
And so when there is no punishment, there is no law, because a law is only as effective as the punishment that will be invoked when a person fails to obey it. If you were to consider any aspect of life in the society that you are a part of, in the society that you are in, there are laws. There are laws that govern society. You cannot steal, you cannot murder, you cannot drive too fast. There are all kinds of laws that govern society. But what would happen if it was officially announced that no one would ever be fined for traveling too fast in their car, that no one will ever be punished for stealing something from somebody else, that no one will ever be punished for murdering somebody else? What would happen if that was the case? People would go nuts because there would effectively be no law. A law is only as powerful. It is only as effective as the punishment that supports it. And if there is not adequate punishment to get people's flesh under control, then their flesh is going to overcome them and they will behave inappropriately. That is the reality of life. But when Jesus set us free from all punishment relative to sin, relative to disobedience, when he set us free from that, he set us free from the law, from the law of God, from any law. He has set us free from all of that. Why? So that we can go out and indulge our flesh? Absolutely not. No, you must continue and follow through with this. Now, I have done a complete series on the subject of forgiveness, where I've talked about this at length, and I've covered all of the issues relevant to this, especially this issue of people just going out and sinning like the devil because they know that God does not hold their sins against them anymore. I have addressed that in that series, and so I'm not going to do that in this program. Instead, what I want to do is move forward and explain to you something else. If we move past that, if we can move beyond this issue of law and forgiveness and sin, if we move past these things and realize that we can now enter in to a new relationship with our God, then you can understand why he did this. Because he set us free for specific reasons. He set us free for some very specific reasons. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, we have a description of the new covenant. And in the previous program, I read those passages. That's Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. And so I'm not going to reread those again in this program. Instead, I'm going to say that he would instantiate, that he would be able to invoke the new covenant because he would remember our sins no more. And one of the important reasons why he did that was explained in verse 34, where he said that no one would any longer teach his neighbor, know the Lord, because everyone will know him from the least to the greatest. Now, this does not only mean those who have very little from a worldly perspective in terms of what their assets are versus their liabilities. And it does not mean that those who have a lot are going to know the Lord any better than those who have little. But this also means that those who know the Lord in small ways will know the Lord. And those who know the Lord in great ways will also know the Lord. And there will be no need for each other to teach each other because then it will be fully acknowledged that the Lord himself, that our God is teaching us personally. He is growing us personally. He is relating to us personally and individually. And because of his presence within us, the least of us and the greatest of us, 
the least of them to the greatest of them will know the Lord, regardless of how well they know the Lord. But this is the point, and that is that he has provided us with an opportunity to know him. There was never any provision in the Old Covenant for anyone to know their God. This is a very important point to understand. And that is that at no time did our God say that if you repented and obeyed, you would know who he is. No. He said that you could indulge your flesh with all the blessings that he would dispense upon you if you could do it all. That was what he offered, but he never said, and you will know me. He never promised that. He never suggested it. That is an assumption that religious people have been making ever since he gave the law. And today, people are still making the same assumption that if they will only repent and obey, then spontaneously, somehow, things will just happen. Everything will just click in some way. And you will all of a sudden, spontaneously, know the Lord. But no, you will not know the Lord. He never promised that. He never suggested it. It will never, ever happen in that way. It is only possible through the new covenant. And it is only possible when you have been forgiven. And it is only possible when you have been set free from the law. Because until you are set free from the law, your God in your own mind will continually be separated from you. You will continually live with this belief, with this pure fantasy that your God is disgusted with you. He is not because he forgave you. And he forgave you so that you can step into the new covenant. And when you do, here's the point, and that is that he can love you. He can now love you in a way that he never could. His love is a love such that he never keeps any records of your wrongs. He is patient with you. He is kind to you. He exercises pure and complete self-control. He is a God who loves you perfectly and he accepts you perfectly. Now, why is this important? Why would this be important to anyone? Well, the reason why is because you and everyone else around you have a need to be loved. You have a need to be accepted. Consider any sin that you have committed. Consider any sin that anyone else has committed. And if you were to seriously spend time analyzing or exploring the reasons why the sin was committed, it will always be boiled down to a combination of several things, and these things normally include a person wanting to be loved, a person wanting to be accepted, wanting to have meaning and purpose in their life. How many sins have you committed because you wanted somebody to like you, or at least tell you that they did even though they didn't, at least deceive you into thinking that they do? That in and of itself can be powerful enough to cause someone to commit sin because at least they can feel like maybe somebody does, even though intellectually they would know better. It wouldn't matter because their feelings would overcome them because these needs deep down inside are so powerful that we will deny the truth even. We will deny the truth just to feel as though perhaps these needs are being met. That's how intense This is. That's how intense the needs of a person's heart truly are. That we need to be loved and we need to be accepted. But here's the problem, folks. 
The problem is, well, technically it's not really a problem, it's just something that we need to understand, but many people look to the world as though the world is there for the purpose of meeting their needs, that the people around you are there for the purpose of meeting your needs. That's why it's a problem, because you are believing a lie. The world was not created by your God to meet the needs of your heart. He created you in such a way that the world will never be able to do this. Only He can do this. Only He will be able to do this. And so until you turn to Him to receive the love that He has for you, you will never be at peace in your heart. Until you turn to Him for the acceptance that He has for you, you will never be at peace in your heart. Understand this. When your God created you and He created the world around you and He put you in here, He created you and everybody else and everything else that he made here. He created things in such a way that nothing, nothing outside of him will fulfill the deepest needs that you have within you. He is not going to share that with anyone else. He has reserved this for himself. He is not going to let anyone love you perfectly. He's not going to let anything in this world satisfy the deepest needs in your heart. He will share this with no one. And because of that, you have no one to turn to but him. But when you do, when you rest in his forgiveness, you can then turn to him and be the recipient of his love and acceptance for you. And only then can you be at peace in your own heart. And what happens when you are fulfilled in the deepest part of your heart in this way? What will happen is that the temptations of life will come along. And what do these temptations do? They tempt the needs that you have. The temptation comes before you and says, Look, if you will sin, then you will feel as though you are loved. You will feel as though you have purpose in life. But when you rest in His love, and you rest in His purpose that He has for you, then these temptations will no longer have any meaning. They will not be as tempting as they once were. You will say no to sin. Why? Because the law said don't sin? No. You will say no to sin because you won't want to sin. Because you will be at peace. Because you will be at rest. That's why. You will not engage in that sin because you are committed, or because you are repentant, or because you are obedient, or because you want him to bless your flesh, or because you don't want him to beat your flesh. No, you will say no to sin because you are at peace, because you are at rest in your heart, because of what you have received from your God, because he no longer holds your sins against you, because he died for your sins, and so there is no law that has any place in your life It is in this way that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. This is the life that he has called us to, a life of peace and rest. And how do we enter into it? We enter into it when we believe our God. We must obey him in the context of believe. And we must respond to what he has said. When he says that he loves us, we must respond and say, yes, thank you. I will trust that what you have said is true. That is your response. That is the manifestation of faith. Faith is the response to the truth that has been revealed to you. 
And this is the truth that has been revealed. You must believe him and you must trust him. Only then will you truly obey. Only then will you obey as he called Adam to obey him. He called upon Adam to obey him, not in the sense of just don't eat from that tree, but he called Adam to obey him, asking him and expecting him to believe him, to believe his God. But instead, he refused to believe. He decided to believe the devil instead. And the message of the devil was that you only need the law. You only need the law. You only need to know what is good and evil. That's all that you need. That was the deception that caused the fall of humanity. And that is the deception that prevents the rise of humanity, that prevents the reconciliation of humanity to their God, that prevents people from knowing their God. I understand that our God gave the law through Moses. He did that, but he did that in order to show us. He provided his contribution. He provided a contribution to mankind's effort to try to be who God created them to be by knowing what is good and evil. When he gave the law through Moses, he never said that people would know him if they obeyed. He gave the law of Moses to show people that they would never obey. And people tried. They tried for hundreds of years. And when the day finally came, when the day came that the people believed that they achieved success, when the people finally believed that they had finally succeeded, that they had accomplished the life of good and evil, they had accomplished holiness by their actions, by their behavior, by what they did and by what they didn't do, when people finally believed that they had accomplished that, that's when Jesus came. And he came to show them that no, in truth, they were a failure, that they did not succeed. His entire ministry while he was here on earth was devoted to showing the people that God was still disgusted with them because they were not as holy, they were not as perfect as they needed to be if this was the kind of life that they wanted to live. But he didn't do that to encourage people to try harder, to do more to the extent where they would always be devoted to this. No, he did this to show people that with us it is impossible, that with us we must receive forgiveness. We must turn to him. We must turn away from ourselves and turn to him because it is only then that he will meet the deepest needs of our heart and it is only then that we will walk in the newness of life. And this was prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 17 to 20. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 24 to 28. Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 11 to 14. In many other places, I read these passages from Ezekiel in a previous program where it says that he would put a new spirit, a new heart within us, and we would walk according to his statutes. We would walk how Why? Because we were repentant and obedient? No. We would walk because he would change our heart. He would resurrect our spirit. That's how he would do that. He would give us his spirit so that our spirit would be resurrected by the indwelling presence of his. 
with the indwelling presence of His, our spirit would come alive. We could turn to Him for who He is. We could receive all that He is to us. We could receive all that He has given to us and we could live on the basis of what we have that has been described as an inheritance that He has given to us as a result of His death. And through living with the abundance of what we have, it is trivial to say no to sin when the temptations to sin come before us in our lives. That is the way that He would cause us to walk in His statutes. It is not the direct result. It is an indirect result of us trusting and believing in Him. It is a side effect of trusting and believing in Him. The purpose is not to get our flesh under control, although to a degree we can certainly experience some of that. No, the real issue is that in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the failures, in the midst of the wrestling that we experience in life, we will grow to know who He is. And that is what is greater, that He will have a people who will know who He is in the context of the love that He has for us and His acceptance when we certainly could not earn it, we certainly did not deserve it, but He gave it to us graciously because that is who He is. And there is no other way that He could have accomplished this but by allowing us to struggle with the issues of sin, to struggle with the issues of the knowledge of good and evil and the commandments, only then could we truly know Him. Only then could we truly know the depths of who He is in terms of His love for us. So believe Him and trust Him. That is your obedience. Don't get lost in this word, obedience. This obedience has nothing to do with getting your flesh under control and measuring your success by the law that he gave. The focus is not on obedience to law. It is obedience to faith, which means that he has given us enough evidence for thousands of years. He has given us enough evidence to show that he is trustworthy, that we can believe in him and that all he wants is for us to believe him to trust Him. It wasn't about the tree. It wasn't about the fruit of the tree. It was about believing your God. He will reveal Himself and what He has created to us in such a way that we cannot possibly imagine without His divine revelation. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net